Somebody said I still have 33 seconds. Amen. We're going to uh, uh, finish up chapter one of the book of James tonight in our study. And um, our title of our lesson tonight is interesting. It is how not to be a hypocrite. How not to be a hypocrite. All right. James chapter one. I want to start reading from verse 19 and we're going to read uh, through the end of the chapter. And you're hearing and we'll kind of come back. I do have some props up here. I didn't bring these so my kids would have something to play with. But I want to illustrate to you today how the word of God functions in our life to uh, um, to bring about transformation. By the way, we're glad to have Bill's brother visiting with us for a couple of weeks. God bless you. Thanks for being with us tonight. And uh, James chapter one, verse 19, it says, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. Slow to speak, slow to wrath. We could preach on that, that that verse right there for a while. Verse 20, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Verse 21, wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, This man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Jesus, we pray that you would help us tonight as we get into the word of God. Let our hearts be open. Let our spirits be receptive to be uh, expanded for us to grow, for us to develop and mature through the word tonight. We pray in the name of Jesus, we pray and everyone said, amen. 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 Now, verse number 22, it says, be doers, not hearers only deceiving your own self says deceiving your own self. And then in verse 26, It says, deceiveth his own heart. So this passage of Scripture focuses a lot on this idea of self-deception, which is a serious matter. It's one thing for the devil to deceive you, but it's even a more serious matter for us to deceive ourselves. Here's the big problem. The big problem is many people are deceiving themselves into thinking they are saved. When they are not. Everybody say that's a problem. That's a problem. Uh, Matthew 7.22 says. Many will say to me in that day. Lord, Lord. Have we not prophesied in thy name. And in thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. 
And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And, uh, of course, then Jesus goes on to talk about, if you hear my word, but you don't do my word, you're likened unto a person who builds his house on sand. But if you hear my word and do my word, then you're likened unto a man who builds his house on the rock. So one thing we're getting right here is that just hearing the word doesn't make a difference. It's hearing and doing the word that makes the difference. But it's, it's, it's very sobering to realize that Jesus said that in the last days there would be people who thought they were saved and they're going to come to the Lord Jesus saying, hey, I, I did this, I had this gift, I operate in your name, I, I called on your name, I believed in you, all of these things. And he's going to say, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. Of course, the word knew here talks about intimacy of relationship. And uh, so whenever you are living in sin, there's not this intimacy of relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, and so hypocrisy is very, very dangerous. It is pretending to be something you're not. And the problem is, is at the core of human nature is this tendency to want to look good. When I say look good, I'm not referring at this point about physically your appearance. But what I'm talking about is uh, putting a good front out there or having people think well of you. That's kind of human nature. And, and the problem is that it plays into when we are not living right, but we want people to think that everything's okay, then we become what's referred to as a hypocrite or an actor, a person who plays a part. Now, the, the problem with hypocrisy is when I live a life of hypocrisy, it sears my conscience. And so where I used to have a keen sense of right and wrong over the course of time, I lose that sense of right and wrong. And the Bible refers to a person who has lost that that spiritual sensitivity because they are living a double life, a fake life. Uh, what happens is they become a reprobate. Everybody heard the word reprobate before? A reprobate is one who God can no longer work with or deal with because their conscience is not functional anymore. And they live like they want to. The Bible says God turns them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient so that they can have that opportunity. And uh, uh, so not only when someone's a hypocrite does it affect them, but it also has a negative effect on the church as well. But uh, uh, I, I believe another thing that this passage focuses on is also people who are saved. They are believers, and they think they're spiritually mature, but they're not. So number one is a problem for people who think they're saved, but they're not saved. And then people who are saved and think they're spiritually mature, but they're deceived because they're not spiritually mature. So we're going to talk about this because a mark of maturity in spiritual maturity is when a person, when a person can face himself honestly, they know themselves and they admit their needs. A person admits his needs, then that's a sign of spiritual maturity. But putting up a front and acting like everything's okay and putting this image of uh, of being something that we're not, which is once again it go, harks right back to human nature of uh, uh, of, of uh, looking good, you know. And uh, uh, so, a key phrase for tonight, for our time of studying the Word of God tonight, is this: a proper relationship with God through 
the Bible, through his word, is the key to avoiding hypocrisy. Having a proper relationship with God through his word is the key to avoiding hypocrisy. Right here is the key to avoiding hypocrisy. But just owning one of these is not what keeps you from being a hypocrite. And just reading one of these things is not what keeps you from being a hypocrite. Or even memorizing or even understanding the meanings of the word is not what keeps you from being a hypocrite. It is having a proper relationship with God through his word. And we're going to talk about that specifically tonight. And uh, if you learn to practice the word of God, to put it into practice, to rightly divide the word of God, then you cannot be dishonest and you cannot be hypocritical. So to give you an outline of what we'll be discussing over the next few minutes is we're going to look at three responsibilities from James chapter 1 that we have towards God's word that will allow us to have an honest walk with God and be honest with men. So uh, three responsibilities that we see in James chapter 1. The first one is the responsibility of learning how to properly receive the word. We're going to talk first of all, James gives us instructions on how to properly receive the word. Uh, it's not enough just to hear because the Bible talks about not just what we hear, but how we hear. So properly receiving the word. Secondly, we're going to talk about how to pr put the word into practice. Practice the word. And while we look at this uh, number two, we're going to look at, at, at three ways that the word ministers to us when we put it into practice. Three, three ways. Number one is through examination. And number two is through, uh, number two is through restoration. And then number three is transformation. So these three things that the, the Word of God does for us when we put it to use in our life. And hopefully we can make this very practical if you'll stay with us. And then uh, the, the third thing is to share the Word. These are the responsibilities that are given to us in the second part of James chapter 2. So the first responsibility is to receive the Word. Verse 19, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. This tells us basically the right way to receive the word. And I want to break that down for you. First of all, it, where it says the engrafted word, the engrafted, that word engrafted may not be a familiar word to you. Uh, a better way, probably an easier word for you to understand would be implanted, implanted word. And this little passage right here is comparing the word to a seed that's planted. Just like the parable of the sower, the story that Jesus told about the man that sowed the seed, which was the word of God into the soil, which was the heart of an individual. That's what this is talking about here, receiving with meekness, the engrafted or implanted word into our heart. And, of course, the story of the, the, the parable of the sower, the ultimate goal was fruit to be produced. Everybody say fruit. And that's the final test of salvation. We know that uh, when a person gives their life to the Lord and then they're water baptized in the name of Jesus and then when they're spirit-filled, we're looking for that initial evidence of the baptism, which is speaking in tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. But the final test of salvation is the production of fruit. 
And so some may say, well, what is fruit? There are several things where the Bible refers to types or ways that fruit are shown. Of course, there's the fruit of the Spirit. But then there's also winning souls to Christ is described as bearing fruit. Growing up in holy living is described as a fruit of the Spirit. Sharing our possessions with other people is seen as a fruit of the Spirit. Development of spiritual character in you is called a fruit of the Spirit. Good works in your life is a fruit of the Spirit. Even praising God in one passage of Scripture is described as a fruit of the Spirit. I could give you text for all of these, but these things are described as fruit that should be produced in a believer's life. And uh, um, so real, few, real, real fruit has this characteristic. It has the potential to produce a future harvest because fruit has the seed in it. Everybody understands. So just religious works is not fruit because there's no seed in it. And, uh, but in order for the Word of God that's planted in you to spring forth and bring forth fruit, it has to be received the right way. And so uh, I, I want you guys to get this because this will help you. Because just having a Bible and just coming to church is not going to cut it for you. All right? Having a Bible and going to the right church is not going to cut it for you. You have to learn how to receive the word the right way. Mark chapter 4 verse 24 says, take heed what you hear. But Luke 8, 18 says, take heed how you hear. So it's not just that you hear the right things, but it's that you receive them the right way. Matthew 13 and 13. Matthew 13, 13 says, Therefore speak I to them in parables, because seeing they see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. That means they hear, but they don't hear, and they don't understand. So you got two people sitting in the same room to hear the same thing. One of them hears, and the other one doesn't hear. So it's important to say, how do I listen? How do I receive the Word when I'm reading the Word of God? Do I receive it the right way? Or do I just casually peruse it? And do I miss what God is trying to share with me? See, there's a lot of people who attend church regularly. They go to classes and Bible studies. But they never seem to grow. It could be several reasons. One of the reasons is they might be dull of hearing. The Bible talks of those who through spiritual decay become dull of hearing. And that means when you're not living right with God, you're not reading your Bible, you're not having times of prayer with God, spiritually you become dull of hearing. So the message is coming through and you hear the top layer message, basically the... Uh, the content, you have comprehension, but spiritually you can't get the meat of the meaning because you're dull of hearing. And so to receive God's Word, what does the Bible say? First of all, it says, let every man uh, be swift to hear. Everybody say swift. Swift to hear. The Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The Bible also says he that has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, when it says swift to hear, the way that, uh, best way I could describe this is when you are a mother, your ear is tuned in to the voice of your infant or toddler child. So that 
you can hear that voice and you can tune into it because of the priority of that voice to you. You understand that if that voice cries out, I need to be able to respond quickly to it. And, and so you're tuned into it. If you're a mother or a father, you recognize that voice. You're swift to hear that voice. Or let me explain. Some of you don't have kids. Uh, maybe you have a boss. And uh, you're at work. And you're dawdling, goofing around, whatever. And all of a sudden you hear your vo- the voice of your boss. You're swift to hear that voice. You're tuned into that voice. I remember when I worked uh, a job going through college, I worked for Bill Richardson, uh, Handy Home Center. He was a man that worked like 80, 90 hours a week. Uh, but I remember you could walk in and you could tell when he wasn't there. You know, you could just tell the whole environment and atmosphere was different. But and you could walk in, you could sense Bill Rick in the house. And uh, so, but we were tuned into the sound of his voice. We were swift to hear. This is the way it is. If you want to be able to receive the word of God, a lot of times we're so swift to hear a sports score or we're swift to hear about a special or a sale. When it comes to the Word of God, it's like somebody has to pound on your head before you'll even start listening to the Word of God. The Bible says if you want to be an overcomer, if you want to be victorious in Christ, you've got to learn to tune yourself in to when God begins to speak. And I'm not just talking about supernatural speaking through the Word of the Spirit, but I'm talking about the Word of God while you're reading the Word or where you're sitting in the house of God. It's like, is God trying to speak to me? Is God? I'm tuned in right now because every man is to be swift to hear so sensitive the bible says it, the bible says in one place he wasn't in the thunder he wasn't in the loud voice but it was the still small voice and it was only to be heard and discerned by those who were swift to hear those who were tuned in to the voice of the lord that's the most important voice in your life i'm talking today about the most important thing in your life right now there's nothing there's nothing now i know when you're going to college you want to tune in and hear the professor And when you're about to uh, uh, sign a contract, you want to make sure you're listening closely to the details of the loan. Let me tell you right now, you need to be swift to hear the word of the Lord. Swift to hear the voice of the Lord. Amen? But also it says you're to be slow to speak. Swift to hear, slow to speak. You have two ears, one mouth. Go do the math. That means you should be listening at least twice as much as you're speaking So the question is, do you argue with God's word? Now, I know you don't argue with God's word out loud, but in your heart and in your mind, when God begins to deal with you, when the word of God says something, when the preacher says something, as anointed by God, do you in your mind argue with it? Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19 says, when words are many, uh, let me read the King James Version. It says, when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. In the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. But he that refraineth his lips is wise. And the multitude of words is a temptation or a tendency to sin. And Proverbs seventeen twenty seven says, A man of knowledge spareth his words or useth his words with restraint. And a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit or even tempered. So a man that hath knowledge spareth his words. So swift to hear, slow to speak. And then also it says, Slow to wrath. In order to receive the word, we must be slow to wrath. We can't afford to get angry at God 
or get angry at his word. The Bible says in Proverbs 14, 29, a patient man has great understanding or he that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. But a quick tempered man or he that is hasty of spirit displays or exalteth folly or foolishness. So slow to wrath. Everybody say slow to wrath, slow to speak, swift to hear. And many uh, church problems, church fights are the result of short tempers and hasty words. Now, we know that the Bible says be angry and sin not. And uh, we are to be angry against sin. Because in order to love God, you must hate sin. Everybody with me now? Now, the Bible says this anger, verse 20, does, does not work the righteousness or doesn't produce the righteousness of God. But we can and must get angry at sin the right way. Because if you don't get angry at sin, you'll not have the strength to fight it. Amen. The problem here it's talking about is getting angry at God's word and the law because it reveals our sins to us. Now, um, I'll just back up a little bit here and say, I, I remember someone sharing with me, uh, someone who's a pastor of a church, who uh, at one point in his life struggled with a heroin addiction and uh, then was saved, delivered, and then fell back into his heroin addiction. Tried to come back to church, went back to heroin, back and forth a couple times. And uh, when he came back to God, he said, God, he prayed every day. He said, God, I want you to cause me to feel about heroin the way you feel about heroin. He prayed that over and over and over and over again. And then the time of temptation came, as it will always, right? <laughs> and someone there, at the, a co-worker, tossed some across the uh, drywall, stack of drywall they were sitting on. said, hey, you want some? He said, all of a sudden, something welled up. He became so angry, and he slapped it across the room. And he said, let me tell you something, buddy. We work together. We have a good relationship. But if you try that again, we're having problems. And he realized a few minutes later, he's like, you know what? I was angry. Whereas before, while I knew it was wrong and it was hurting me, I didn't hate heroin. But now I hate it. Amen. So the, in order to be victorious, you've got to hate sin. You don't hate sinners. You love sinners. But you despise sin. Amen. Uh, and and uh, when it says about being angry, it's talking about getting mad at God. And, and uh, that's like when the Word of God speaks something, it's going to speak conviction to your life. If you really are willing to look into the Word seriously, it will bring conviction to your life. And, and, and so you've got to be slow to anger. Because being angry because of what the Word said is like the man who broke the mirror because he didn't like the image that he saw in it. <clears throat> Don't get angry at the Word of God. And then verse 21, it's kind of a lot of words that are not everyday words for us. Filthiness, superfluity of naughtiness. What it's giving us here is the image of a garden. The human heart being a garden. Remember it said put the engrafted or the planted word in the heart. And it said lay aside or lay apart filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. The best way I can use to describe this is a garden that's full of weeds and thorns and thistles. And it's saying get it ready. 
pull it out, prepare the garden for the seed. Pull the weeds, get your heart right, get the soil right. Because if your soil's not right, we learn from the parable of the sower that we can put the seed in, but it's not going to produce fruit because it'll get choked out by the weeds. The stony ground will take care of it. So how do you prepare your heart for the Word of God? It's very simple. 1 John 1.19 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You need to confess your sins and you need to ask forgiveness of sins. And I believe the Word of God makes it clear that we are to confess our faults one to another. If we want to be healed, that's what the Bible says. Confess your sins one to another. Because anything that's kept in the dark is going to grow fungus, you know, mold. Bring it out into the light. Bring it out into the light. And that doesn't mean you just tell everybody, but you better have an accountability partner and bring it out and say, I've sinned. And I'm asking God for forgiveness, but I also understand the power of confession in this. You can ask God to break up your fallow ground. That's your hardness and your resistance. Say, God, get out the plow and get my fallow ground ready. Get my heart ready to receive correctly the engrafted word of God. And finally, it says, have the right attitude. It says, receive with meekness. Meekness is the opposite of anger. And uh, that means to accept the word of God instead of argue with it or try to justify yourself. Or try to twist the word of God to fit whatever it is you're doing or whatever it is you want to say. That's not receiving the word with meekness. Receiving the word with meekness is I'm taking my hands off. I'm not going to try to justify my actions. But I'm going to receive the word of the Lord, not with anger, but with meekness. Amen? Some like to argue their point of view and say, well, I believe this. And and they think that they're argument and their discussion equals growing spiritually or spiritual maturity but they're not promoting spiritual growth they're running their mouth and they're growing more weeds you got to receive the word of god the right way amen be slow to speak be swift to hear amen be ready to receive so that's the first responsibility the second responsibility uh, after you we, we talk about correctly receiving the word preparing your heart is to practice the word. And this is where the rubber meets the pavement in this right here. And this is kind of what this passage in James is about. Verse 22 says, But be ye not doers of the word, or but be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. So you're deceived if you're a hearer but not a doer. Just think about that for a second. If you hear the word and don't do it, you're deceiving yourself. I'm going to say that again because that's powerfully profound and simple. If you hear the word and don't do it, you're deceiving yourself. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed. Everybody say he's going to be blessed. He'll be blessed indeed. So the blessing comes in being a doer of the word. There's no blessing promised from hearing the word only. But the blessing comes through practicing the word. So it's not enough to hear the word. You must do it. And, and I want you to get this point because hearing a good sermon or hearing a good Bible study is not what it takes for you to grow spiritually. 
And you may enjoy this Bible study. You may enjoy times that you sit down and hear Bible studies. But that's not what brings God's blessings and brings God's spiritual growth into your life. It is the doing of the word that brings the blessing. Amen. And I know we Pentecostals, we apostolics, we love to worship God exuberantly. We love to respond to the word of the Lord in the house of the Lord. And I'm going to be the first one there responding because I believe, I believe that it is appropriate to mix faith with the Word of God. But here's the problem. The problem is when people get the misconception that they hear the Word, they shout, they cry, that somehow spiritual growth has happened, and then they leave here and don't do anything with the Word, there's no blessing coming for that, and there's no spiritual growth coming. Say, but I ran around, I ran around the church 32 times. Run around 36 is no better. Because the point is, and all of that, you know, I, I, I believe and I agree in responding to the word of the Lord. So please say amen when the man preaches and when you hear the word and you respond to it. But understand that that's not where you get the blessing. You get the blessing when you take the word that you receive and you take it outside. So as pastor, I'm going to try to give you applications to the Word of God. Say, go put this into practice in your life. Because you may have said, well, I was so blessed by the Word today. Well, I understand what you're saying. It encouraged you. It made you feel good. But the blessing doesn't come till you do the Word. That's when the blessings start showing up in your life. Amen? That's where the Word starts to work. That's where you begin to mature spiritually. Because you can sit in Bible studies 24 hours a day for the rest of your life and know so much about the Bible to where your head's about to explode, but you don't mature spiritually until you put the Word into practice. Many people mark their Bibles, but they never let their Bibles mark them. Hearing the Word will not make you spiritual. In fact, if you're hearing it and not doing it, hearing the Word may make you a reprobate. Better to get out. Understand what I'm saying? That's harsh. No, the reality is if you're going to hear the word and not do it, you're doing damage to your soul. You're doing damage to your conscience. You're doing damage to your purity. The the, the pure word of God, when you read the word of God and when you hear the word of God and you ignore it or get angry with it or resist it or don't do it, you're putting yourself in harm's way. You're putting yourself in peril. So I just want to be straight with you. And, 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 and the fact is, the most merciful thing I could do for you is do everything I can to get you to heaven. My merciful, I'm not being merciful if I make you feel good and you're wrong. Amen. As a pastor or as one that's breaking the word of life, there's got to be conviction in the word of God. Somewhere along the way, there's got to be people that fall down and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Amen. That's what the Bible talks about. That's what happened. So hearing the word will not make you spiritual, but it has the power if it's received the right way and put into practice to make you spiritual. Now, in this passage of Scripture, it it uses uh, the description of a mirror. It describes the word uh, as a mirror. It's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, not in a glass that you drink from, but a mirror. This is the reason why I have this mirror here. The Bible is described here as a mirror. Now, there's a couple other places in Scripture where the Word of God is described as a mirror. And we're going to look at these three to talk about three uh, ways that the Word of God can benefit you if you use it correctly and if you use it uh, carefully and if you use it consciously. So these are three ministries of God's Word as a mirror 
using these three comparisons of Scripture. The first thing I, I want to bring out for your uh, illustration is, uh, is a uh, stethoscope. Is that the right word? Stethoscope. And the reason I is to give you a mental picture of a doctor's office and an examination. How many has been too long since you've been to the doctor to get a checkup from the neck up? Amen. So the first thing that the, 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 first thing that the Word provides for you is an examination. That's verse 23. A man looking into a natural, his, beholding his natural face in a glass. The main purpose for a mirror is to check yourself out. So you, you grab the mirror and you get in front of the mirror and you say, okay, do I have smudges of dirt here? Is my hair messed up? Are my clothes neat and straight? So do an examination of yourself to see what's wrong, to see what needs to be fixed. And the reality is, is when you look into the Word of God, it becomes a mirror that allows you to see yourself as you really are. See, and that's why a lot of people are not interested in what I have to say because they'd rather compare themselves with someone else. Compare themselves. I'm sorry, I'm an English teacher. I can't say words that don't exist. Did you know their self is not a word? Themselves. Amongst themselves. But the Bible says when you look into the Word of God, it becomes a mirror that shows us what's wrong with ourselves, what we need to change. Now, it talks here in this uh, examination part, it talks about certain problems that people have in using the Word of God for an examination. The first mistake they make is they merely glance at themselves. It says they just look at themselves real quickly. And I want to tell you, the Bible will not work to bring about an examination if you just casually read it every once in a while. Or just casually read a chapter a day. Or go through the Bible reading and you've read two chapters and your mind is somewhere else. It doesn't work that way. It, it can't bring about that purpose that's uh, like just glancing at yourself in the mirror. Just reading the Bible will not reveal our deepest needs, especially if we're reading carelessly. Now, I want to help you understand this in terms of the Bible's ability to do an examination on us. If you could think of the difference between a candid shot, picture. If I hand you a picture, like a Facebook shot of somebody, and an x-ray and a CAT scan of that person. If I hand that to a doctor and say, okay, look at this picture. Tell me what's wrong with this guy. The doctor is going to be like, are you serious? I'm not, you're giving me a snapshot of somebody and asking me to uh, examine him based on a snapshot? But then you hand the x-ray and the, and the CT scan and they can begin to say, well, there, I see some problems here. Or what if you... Uh, Dr. Uh, Charlie's here with us. Um, what if you walked up to him and said, Hey, doctor, how are you doing? What's wrong with me? He'd be like, <laughs> he'd be like uh, You're simple? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's like, Well, you, you saw me. I mean, what's wrong with me? Well, no, he's going to have to get out the stethoscope. He's going to have to uh, maybe order some tests. 
He's going to have to listen to your breathing, listen to your heart, look down your throat, look in your ears, do the thorough examination in order to really find out what the problem is. And so when you just kind of casually look at the Word of God and say, oh, I read my Bible. The reality is, in order to really, you've got to get serious about this thing. All right, do you want to go to heaven? This needs to be important to you and be serious about being in the Word. I, 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 I get so mad sometimes. I get angry, but I'm slow to anger. But I get angry <laughs> at what this easy believism has done to the church world and to Christianity. It's created a whole generation of people who are lost who think they're saved. And they're influencing other people. And they're so disingenuous, unconcerned, unserious about their walk with God and their relationship with God. It's just a, because they've been told, if you believe, you're saved. And so they're like, cool, I'm a Christian now. I'm going to learn all the signs and all the lingo and all this. The Bible, if you're not serious about this thing, if you're not examining your heart, if you're not walking with God, if you're not in relationship with the Lord, amen? Come on. You say, well, you're saying all these works save us? No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if you're really saved, it's producing a life that's serious about God and concerned and wanting to have a relationship with Him. Amen. So, so the first mistake is merely glancing at themselves. Another mistake is they forget what they see. The Bible says they forget and they just go on their way. They may not be looking deeply enough because if they look deeply, what they saw would be unforgettable because in our day what's missing is Old-fashioned conviction. John Wesley wrote about one time when he was preaching. And this is what he says. This, is, this was typical. He said, One person before me dropped as dead, and presently a second and a third. Five others sunk down for half an hour, most of whom were in violent agonies. And he said, Well, what's wrong with these people? They're crazy. But the Bible... Uh, gives us examples of what people did when they looked into the mirror. Isaiah 6, 5, Then said I, Woe is me, I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He looked into the mirror, and he said, Woe is me. Luke chapter 5, verse 8, The apostle Peter, when he saw it, says he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Job 42 and 6, Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Amen. I don't know. I don't see it much anymore. But I remember when I was a kid growing up, when a message of conviction was preached, I remember being pricked in my heart. Amen. Not just walk out the door and say, Okay, cool. I'm just going to go on living. And, and I, believe, I believe in order to make it to heaven, you've got to have conviction preaching. And you've got to respond to conviction preaching. Amen? Say, woe is me. I'm lost and undone. I recognize my need of you. God, save me. God, please forgive me. Wash my sins. Cleanse me. David said, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit in me. Take not your spirit away from me. Cast me not out of your presence. I've got to be right with God. Amen? Amen. And some people, well, you're being overly dramatic and... And uh, this is uh, uh, people who are psychologically weak or, or, you know, and you need to just operate in your level of uh, anointing and, uh, and, and who you are. But the reality is you need to be serious about your relationship with God and serious 
about being right with God because this is the most important thing in your life. Does anybody believe the word of the Lord? Amen. Amen. When you look in the mirror, when you get into the word of God, that's why a lot of people don't get in because they don't want to see what they're going to see. But when you get in the word of God and God begins to convict you for being a cheater and a liar, convict you for deceiving people, convict you for speaking evil of people, convict you for the sins of the flesh. God begins to deal with you. There's got to be something that breaks inside of you because if that doesn't happen, you may be on the wrong road and quite a ways down it. Amen. Let the Word of God turn something in me and change me and make me a person of righteousness. I want to be a man of purity. I want to be a man that brings glory to God. I want my life to reflect His glory. How in the world do I think my life's going to reflect His glory when I don't look into the Word of God and let it convict and change me? Amen. And the third mistake in examination is they fail to obey what the Bible tells them to do. And they just look briefly, they forget what they saw, and then they don't do what the Word says to do. And many Christians substitute oops, hearing the Word of God, reading the Word of God, talking for actually doing the Word of God. It's in doing that the blessing comes. Amen. For the Word to work for you, you must gaze into it carefully and with serious intent. And there's too much carelessness with God's Word. Amen. This requires time, attention, and sincere devotion. Hey, it's wake-up call time. I'm trying to get you guys to heaven. I'm trying to get this church to heaven. Amen. I want, I want you guys to be saved. Amen. As a shepherd, as a shepherd it's my responsibility. It's my calling. Amen. Hey, come on, let's, let's get things right with God. Let's purify our hearts. Let's get things right with the Lord. Amen? Amen. We don't have time to mess around because not only are you not right with God, but God can't use you in the way that He wants to use you. Praise the Lord. Now, there's two qualities of a good doctor. There's probably a lot of qualities, but one of them is they're not in a rush. They spend time with you. And secondly, they tell you the truth. I don't want a doctor. That's going to come in and out and not listen to me, not answer my question. I don't want a doctor that's going to tell me what I want to hear instead of telling me the truth. And the great physician, Jesus Christ, will use his word to tell you the truth if you're willing to gaze into it, to look into it, amen, and to see what the word of God says. Remember, the blessing of God comes through doing, not from hearing the word. It's from conduct, not knowledge, amen? Come on, somebody. That's what Dave Ramsey told us. He said it's 80% conduct and 20% knowledge to bring about the change. You can get the knowledge, but it's in the doing of the Word that the blessing comes and that spiritual growth comes. The Bible here is, it refers to itself as the perfect law of liberty. And that means, why, what does that mean? That means when we obey it, God uses it to set us free. How could, how could you use the word law and liberty in the same sentence? And, and I, I apologize, I'm gonna, I may have to break this into two lessons, but law and liberty in the same, I mean, law seems restricting. It seems like fences. And then liberty, you look into the law of liberty. Because by obeying the law, it sets you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. 
Those that are in sin are servants to sin. Those that are in truth have been set free. How can the law set me free? The same way. Here, let me just make this explanation to you. I'm a parent and I have a toddler. And I let her go out into the backyard and play. 16 months old. Why? Because we have a nice backyard. She can run around. She can play with stuff. But I promise you one thing. I wouldn't let her into the backyard to play if it weren't for a fence all the way around the yard. To protect her from what's on the outside. To protect her from dangers. The reality is, is this restriction, this fence has given her liberty. Because without the fence, she doesn't enjoy the backyard. But I put the fence and she's able to enjoy what's hers. Amen? She's able to enjoy it. And God's law of liberty is what enables us to really be free. Amen? And when you look into the law of liberty, it sets you free. You may not like what it says at first, but it sets you free to enjoy what God has given to you. Praise the Lord. I'll look at the second one, then we'll have to leave the third one for next week. The second is uh, restoration. Exodus chapter 38 and 8. It's talking about the laver of water in the tabernacle. It says, And he made the laver of brass, and the foot of it brass. Remember, this is the laver of water in the tabernacle. It's between the altar and the holy place, or the holiest of holy. It said he made it of brass, and the foot of it of brass. A lot of you didn't know this. But of the looking glasses of the women assembling, which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So the basin of the labor of water was made out of brass looking glasses that the women had brought from Egypt. And so when they came for the cleansing, this labor had the power to reflect as well. And in essence was an enormous concave mirror and we know that uh, the laver represents the laver represents water baptism but the laver also represents the word of god and once you do an examination and the word shows you what is wrong and what needs to change that same word has the power to restore can i get an amen That same word that shows you the problem is the same word that has the power to cleanse. Amen? So water for washing is a picture of the word of God in its cleansing power. John 15 and 3. Look at these verses. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. The words of Jesus. The word of God. says I'm speaking to you. The word of God has the power not only to reveal what's wrong, but it has the power to cleanse you. Can I get an amen in the house right now? We have a promise that the same word that convicts is the same word that has the power to cleanse you. Ephesians 5 and 26, it says, this is referring to the church. God says that, that, he may sanct- that Jesus Christ may sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. There is a cleansing that transpires 
through the Word of God. This Word has the power not only to show you what's wrong and bring conviction, but it has the power to cleansing. Now we understand that we were initially cleansed through the justification of the blood of Jesus Christ when we put our faith in Jesus and were baptized in water in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, washing away our sins. Everybody say amen. But I've had people come to me and say, I've made mistakes. I've had blunders. I was baptized, but I made mistakes, and I feel like I need to be rebaptized. But I say to them, if you were baptized in Jesus' name and you had faith in Christ when you were baptized, it's not necessary for you to be rebaptized, even though you may have become unclean by living in this world. Because after water baptism, it is the Word that has the power to cleanse us. Because the mirror not only shows you what's wrong, but it gives you the power to be able to fix what is wrong as well and cleanse and correct what is wrong. Praise the Lord. So as we meditate on God's Word, that's why you're powerless to live above sin if you don't even read your Bible. I'm like, come on, guys. How are you going to be a victorious Christian? You don't even use the Bible. How are you going to be ready to go on that date? You don't even look in the mirror. How are you going to be ready to go if you don't even have a concern about the Word of God and you have a million other things that are more important to you? Somewhere along the way, we've got to realize this Word, the Word of God, is precious to us because it's what lets us know what's wrong and it has the power to cleanse us as well. Because when we meditate on the Word of God, it cleanses our heart, it cleanses our mind from spiritual defilement. Well, the blood of Jesus Christ is what cleanses the guilt. It is the Word of God that washes away the defilement of this world. That's why, the, you know, when the disciples um, gather together, they wash one another's feet. Why? Well, because they've been walking in the dusty streets. And they got in there, and they needed to wash the residue off. Amen. We live in a filthy world. Amen. We live in a filthy world. You don't have to intend to go out and be exposed to spiritual defilement. All you have to do is drive down the road and it's screaming at you from billboards and coming through the media and every perceivable uh, means that the, the, the world is defilement is coming on you. Amen. So you got to shake yourself off and say, I'm going to meditate on the Word of God because the defilement of this world has begun to affect my mind. It's begun to affect my values. It's begun to affect the way I perceive things. And I want God's Word to cleanse me. Amen. I want God's Word to make me new, to restore. Amen. To create in me a new heart, a clean heart. Wash me. That's what the Word of God has the power to do. Amen. I want to encourage somebody today. If you're not reading through the Bible, get to reading through the Bible. Amen. Amen. I was reading this week in the Bible reading, reading the story of Saul. God convicts my heart. God says, are you more concerned about what men have to say? That's what happened when Saul messed up. He wasn't so concerned that God was finished with him. He said, go with me, Samuel, so I look good in front of the people. David was a man after God's own heart. A man who, when he was faced with his sin, fell on his face said, put sackcloth and ashes on me. I don't care who knows it. I'm ashamed. I messed up and I want to be right with God. You know why that's That's because I'm in the Word of God. When you're in the Word of God, it will will shape you. It will fix you. Man, you meditate on the Word of God. You talk about it with other people. Get a reading partner because you need the Word if you want to be right with God. Amen. 
I'm sorry, I'd like to think I'm a good preacher, but coming in here in the Word one time on Sunday, that's not going to cut it for you. You've got to get in the Word. You've got to get cleansed in the Word. I'm glad you're here on Wednesday night because some of you are getting a bath tonight. Amen. It cleanses our hearts and minds from spiritual defilement. The Word reveals and convicts, but the Word also has the power to cleanse as well. And then... Uh, the third thing I'll just briefly mention here. This is to help you remember. A minute hard hat. And my my hammer, my trusty hammer, and a paintbrush. These are tools of construction. And so the word number one examines and convicts. Number two, it restores or cleanses. But number three, the third purpose of the word is transformation, to change you. Because God's plan is not to convict you and forgive you and you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. The word of God was designed not only to convict you and cleanse you, but to cause you to grow so you grow out of the stupidity of making the same mistakes over and over and over again. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. When you look at the glory of God through the Word of God, it begins to change you into the same image. When I spend time meditating on the Word of God and gazing into the law of God and thinking about the principles of God, while I'm doing it, it is changing me into the same image so that I can be... See, that's God's plan, is that we would be conformed to the image of Christ Jesus. It's not about conforming to a bunch of rules and regulations. It's about becoming more like Jesus Christ. How does it happen? Happen. When you with open face, you take the veil off, you take the cover away, you don't hide anything, but you say, I'm looking into the perfect law of God. And it not only convicts and cleanses you, but it will transform you. Amen. After our restoration, God wants to change us so we can grow in grace and not commit that sin again. Way too often we confess, we claim our forgiveness, but never grow spiritually to conquer sin and self. Here's the tool right here. It's the Word of God. You look into the Word of God. You get to looking into the Word of God. You get to studying the Word of God. You get to internalizing the Word of the Lord, and it'll bring about some changes in your life. It'll bring about a transformation in your life. And uh, the word that, that's uh, translated changed right there, comes from a Greek word that sounds like the word metamorphosis, which is where we get the word metamorphosis from. Which, what is metamorphosis? Metamorphosis is an exterior change that comes from the inside out. Starts on the inside and it changes to the outside. So, like, it's, it's describing the metamorphosis is the process that happens with the ugly caterpillar through the cocoon experience who becomes the uh, beautiful butterfly. It's a change from the inside out. Amen? This is what happens when you look into the law of God. It begins to change your heart. 
and then begins to affect and change your concepts. It's metamorphosis or transformation or change through the Word of God. When we spend time looking into the Word and seeing Christ Jesus, we are transformed. Romans 12, 2 says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that perfect and acceptable will of God. As we meditate on the Word, the Spirit renews our mind. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we do not become spiritual Christians or grown-ups overnight. It's a process. It's the work of the Spirit through the mirror of God's Word. But you've got to take off the veil. You can't hide anything. Take off the veil. And let the word begin to transform you. Amen. Because if, if we say we have no sin, verse 8, chapter 1 of 1 John, it says we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So I want us to stand together for the sake of time. We need to draw this to a close. So this is not just a book of interesting stories from archaic times. And this is not just a book that tells the story of the life of Jesus and some letters written by the apostles to different churches. This right here is how you get to heaven. This right here is how you please God. And I want to tell you right now, I want to tell some of you, it's time for some people to grow up. It's time for us to grow up. It's time for us to grow up. Amen. And realize my, I can't get to heaven on my dad's coattails and I can't get to heaven on my pastor's experience. And I can't get to heaven because this person is seeking to live for God. I've got to work out my own salvation with fear. and tr- The Bible doesn't say work for your salvation. Jesus Christ purchased your salvation. Now you need to work it out with fear and trembling. Amen. The Bible says let's be serious about this. And the Word of God is your key to being a victorious Christian. Amen. Don't deceive yourself. Amen. Don't deceive yourself and pat one another on the back and say you're okay, I'm okay. Amen. That takes it even to a worse level when not only are you deceiving yourself but you're helping to deceive one another. Let something happen in our midst that says, God, this is my, uh, this right here is my motto. This right here is what I'm looking to. This is what I'm judging myself by. I want to look and gaze and meditate into the Word of God and let it transform me and change me. Lord Jesus, let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, we thank you today for your Word. And I thank you for the power the Word has to change our lives. And I'm asking you, Jesus, today... I'm asking you, Lord God, let the word find a resting place in our hearts. Let us not be just hearers of the word today. Let us not just cast this off or angrily reject what the word is speaking to our hearts. But I pray in Jesus' name, let's pull the weeds out. Let's pull out everything that would cause this word from not flourishing. And I pray in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord God, for a harvest. God, I pray for a harvest of souls. I pray for a harvest of revival, Jesus. I pray for a harvest of old-fashioned prayer meetings. I pray for a harvest uh, of a baptism of the Spirit that will come upon an entire church. Uh, I pray, Lord God, for a baptism of conviction. I pray for a harvest, Lord Jesus, uh, of old-fashioned pursuing after righteousness and seeking to please you, Lord, not through our works of righteousness, but through what the Spirit does in us as it mixes with the Word, Lord God. My heart's desire, my 
passion is to please you, Lord God. Let it become our passion. Let me be a first partaker. Let us partake together in your word, we pray, in the name of Jesus and for your glory. And everybody said, Amen. And God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Oh, uh, one, one thing, too, before you leave. Brother Chris Brueggemann wanted to meet with everybody that went through uh, the way of the Master. Uh, you went through the first part of the way of the Master. He'd like to meet with you just briefly.